0: Welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal. Along with my co-host, Chris Kaye, we discuss and dissect the songs, albums, and bands of the music we are most passionate about, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, turn it up to 11, and let the debate begin. Welcome back to Debating Metal. I am your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host, Chris K. This week, it's episode 38, and we're bringing you back to old school thrash with Testament, the new order versus practice what you preach. These are two of Testament's finest albums, but we are pitting them head to head to see which one we like better.
1: This week, Kenneth has more rusty metal, and I've got a new online pick of the week, as well as a Great new, freshly forged for you. Uh, you wanted the best, you got the best with this week's Big Four Testament songs. So be sure to stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear which songs made our list. If you missed last week, make sure to go back and check out that episode for our Big Four Judas Priest songs. And make sure you to click subscribe and download the episode to check that out. Also, be sure to go to our Instagram at Debating debatingmetal and leave a comment about your Big Four every week.
0: Speaking of last week, we took on the Metal God's Judas Priest with Screaming for Vengeance versus Defenders of the Faith on episode 37. To hear what we had to say about them, download or stream this episode or any of the older ones on all the major podcast platforms. And while you're there, do us both a favor and click on subscribe or follow on your phone, your laptop, or whichever way you listen to podcasts and get our latest episode on your favorite device every Friday morning. And while you're still there, give us a five-star rating or drop a cool review so everyone can check out how you feel about us.
1: We also want to read your opinions on these or any of our other topics, so if you like what we had to say or just want to rip us a new one, send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com or message us on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. Now it's time for Rusty Metal. Kenneth, what did you dig up this week?
0: All right. Let me say that again. uh Uh-huh.
1: Now it's time for Rusty Metal. Kenneth, what did you dig up this week?
0: All right, this week, um, I'm keeping it along the old-school thrash uh, lines, and this week's Rusty Metal is going to be Overkill with Feel the Fire, their 1985 debut record on Megaforce Records. It was originally produced by Carl Kennedy and recorded at Pyramid Studios in Ithaca, New York. Overkill is a band from Old Bridge Township, New Jersey, um, they were formed by former drummer Rat Skates and bassist D.D. Verney, who is still in the band. Bobby Blitz wasn't their first singer because they had they had um, formed from another, or kind of transformed from another band. And they had a different singer, and then Bobby came in and, be, and basically solidified the position. This was one of Megaforce's earliest releases, and besides Anthrax, Overkill is the next most successful east coast thrash metal band out there this album includes the songs hammerhead and rotten to the core uh the latter of which is a concert staple it's been in their set from the beginning basically um the album also includes a cover of the dead boy song sonic reducer which pearl jam also covered um during their 10 sessions back in 1991 and the sonic reducer single or excuse me the sonic reducer song was not originally part of the 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 first pressings or the first release of the album but was later added on on subsequent reissues of the album and two years after metallica broke barriers and introduced thrash metal to the masses the east coast thrash scene was building an overkill forged ahead with their brand of thrash and this album has all that this album it, it, it has some speed. It has some crunch. It has some chug. It has a lot of the elements that, that East Coast Thrash is known for. And it was just the beginning. And, you know, Anthrax released Fistful of Metal in 85. Or no, excuse me, in 84. So they're, they're, they're coming right behind Anthrax at that point. The album is really solid. I mean, the biggest thing about Overkill is getting used to Bobby's voice. If you can get used to that voice, then you really will enjoy Overkill, especially this album. So go out and get yourself a copy.
1: Okay, so for this week, for my online pick of the week, I'm bringing one of my favorite bands to the forefront. I guess technically not one of my favorite bands, because this is the kind of the aftermath of their dissolution. And that would be uh, Bottom After Midnight, which is the new band that uh, Alexi Lyo formed... Uh, Out of the Ashes of Children of Bottom. They played their first concert, I guess it was on the 24th of October. And the next day online, you could find all the videos in high quality. uh, uh, I I saw them on Blabbermouth. And then I found other videos on YouTube uh, that were super high quality. I watched the whole concert and I was very pleasantly surprised. They played a lot of old stuff, uh, mostly from the first six albums actually even mostly from before that from the first five albums and then there was a few extra tracks they did uh platitudes and barren words from the new album and a couple from I, I think they did the knuckle duster version from the new album as well but that was an older track that was released as a uh, a single uh, like a on a single or trashed lost and strung out years ago so um i really enjoyed it the new guys are all really excellent musicians I am not even going to hazard a guess at how to say some of their names right now until I hear them. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but I was really pleasantly surprised. Um, it, it, the last few albums for Children of they Bottom, uh, they've, they've been kind of hit or miss for me. And I could see they were, they, you know, they just didn't have that chemistry anymore that they used to have. And this is kind of like that injection, the same thing that happened with Judas Priest uh, when um, Richie joined the band, Richie Faulkner and so this this is that same feeling i got where i just really enjoyed watching the concert i've seen them live twice the first time was one of my favorite concerts i've ever been to so definitely check that out you can still find the post on blabbermouth on october 25th so go back to october 25th postings and you can find that or you can find the videos on youtube and probably other places so be sure to check that out Uh, i'm I'm very happy with this uh, this first uh, showing from the band. Cool. All right, and oh, go ahead. You
0: no, to I was say? gonna say cool. I mean, uh, I I I meant to check it out because I saw the headline on Blabbermouth, but I had not gotten a chance to, and uh, so I definitely will take a look at it.
1: Awesome, I definitely recommend it. All right, so for my freshly forged pick this week. What, another one of my favorite bands has released a new album and it did not disappoint in any capacity uh, I have not stopped listening to this uh, even even in the last few days when I was supposed to be listening to the music uh, that we're going to talk about today uh, to, to prepare I just couldn't stop listening because I've enjoyed it so much and that's Morse Prince of PMS has released their album 7 Uh, I've talked about some of the singles that that uh, were released over the last uh, couple months and I am just in love with this album from beginning to end I I don't skip a track every track brings something that Excites me about it. I I think for me the hits that are like the biggest tracks that I'm just really drawn to are uh, Lost in a Starless Aeon, which we talked about a few weeks back I know uh, that you like that song a lot too. Kenneth. That song
0: is so cool.
1: Yeah, and then March for or March to War, uh, the the solo on that song just really drew me in. I've been listening to that one a lot. There's a there's a track towards the end called the Everlong Night, which is just really kick ass. It has such a cool like uh, almost horror esque vibe to it. And then My Home, My Grave, which is the final track. So, like, I I actually really love the opener, too, which I kind of glossed over, which was a a day uh, for redemption. So, from beginning to end, like, I'm not, I'm even excited for the final track when I listen to this. It's so good. Uh, So, please, please be sure to check them out. Andy Gillian, we've talked about several times before. He's an amazing guitarist, amazing musician, amazing songwriter. And he's put together this this uh, you know this album uh, that just it kicks ass from beginning to end. So please be sure to check that out.
0: Excellent, yes, definitely. I I heard the first few tracks on it, and I definitely recommend it as well. So that's a, it's a pretty really cool album. I actually sent the the track info to Matt in Miami, and he listened to um, the um, Lost. I can't forget Lost, the in Lost in a Starless Ann. Lost in a Starless and he uh, he liked that song too. He thought that was pretty cool. He said he can't he can't bag on it. <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> and he's somebody that doesn't really care for melodic death metal, so right? That's, exactly. That's a that's kind of a big statement.
0: Yeah, it is. All right. Before we get into our main topic tonight, I wanted to just kind of mention a couple of things real quick, uh, or actually just one main thing. Just recently, uh, the third installment of Record Store Day. Uh, happened on a previous Saturday. I picked up a few cool vinyl things. I picked up um, Judas Priest, Sad Wings of Destiny, a double LP cut at 45 RPM. Uh, super cool packaging with a uh, with a, a matte finish with a glossy embossing on it. I picked up UFOs, Youngstown Concert, which is where some of the Strangers in the Night songs were taken from. And I also picked up the Skid Row, Slave to the Grind on vinyl. That's what I got. Uh, I, I know there were a couple of other things that were out there that are available. One of the things I wanted to say about Record Store Day is that if, if you want to support some of the artists, because there's a lot of artists out there that are putting out specific things just for Record Store Day, uh, if you want to support those artists, please, please, please go out to your local record stores and buy what they're offering. Some record stores are more popular than others, so you know you may have to stand in line a little bit longer. You may have to get in line earlier. I know I get in line about 7 a.m. for this place to open up at 9 a.m. on a Saturday, Uh, but there's another one that's uh, local closer to me that opens at 10, and people are getting in line at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I don't even want to get in that line, so I go to a little bit more obscure place, and... They ha- they're having their annual Black Friday event coming uh, the day after Thanksgiving. And they've got some really cool releases coming out that day. So take a look at the list on the on the website, recordstoreday.com. And you'll be able to see some of the things that are coming out that day. It's a really cool thing. They give out some stuff in, in some places. It depends because not all record stores have all the stuff. But they give out some really cool things. I mean, they give out buttons. I ended up getting a, a magnet. That looks like the album cover to the sex pistols Nevermind the Bullocks, but it says never mind the downloads um here come the, the here comes the vinyl or something like that it's really cool or here come nice. the record stores um you know the pins bookmarks uh I, I they 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 gave me a a slip mat for um I forgot what artist not that it meant it, it it doesn't mean anything to me it's just but it looks like a Leopard stripe or leopard spotted slip mat with the name on it, Margot Price. I don't know anything about their music, not that I care. But uh, they gave you, a, they gave me a poster. They gave me, a, they actually gave me the Metallica bag I was looking for from previous record store day, uh, celebrating the S and M two release. A whole bunch of stuff. Oh, they gave me a mask uh, from somebody who was putting out a mask. I don't even remember the guy's name, but it's just a mask, you know, free mask. Oops. So it's pretty pretty neat. So if you guys you know, any anybody out there go to your record store day. I mean, this is international, by the way, so anybody who's listening overseas can can go. They usually have a smaller version of Record Store Day internationally, but it's mostly in America. Uh but the Black the Black Friday event is American only from what I understand. So that's that's uh because nobody else really celebrates Black Friday around the world. <laughs>
1: Or Thanksgiving, yeah.
0: <laughs> or Thanksgiving, um, although some places have their own versions of it for different reasons. But mm-hmm. yeah. anyway, that's what I—I I, I just wanted to say that because I was looking at all the stuff that I got recently, and I'm like, hey, you know what? I need to talk about this. So anyway, we are here to talk about Testament and the New Order versus practice what you preach. Let's see. So, the New Order came out in 1988. It was released on Megaforce Records or actually Megaforce slash Atlantic Records. uh, Atlantic was the distributor. Megaforce was the one who was basically promoting and pushing the album. It was produced by Alex Perialis, and it was recorded also at Pyramid Studios in Ithaca, New York, the same place where Feel the Fire was done for Overkill. Um, Pyramid Studios, Ithaca, New York, Alex Perialis, and Carl Kennedy, they all worked for... Um, basically like contracted to work for M- Megaforce Records, and John Zazula, who was the president of M- Megaforce, was basically using them and bringing all the artists that he was signing up to that area so that they can basically record their albums. I, I guess lower budget type of thing. And, and all the albums sound that way, so as, as the, they went along, they got better sounding because the budgets got bigger because Atlantic even though they were distributing it with throwing money their way. It was kind of like an agreement, you know, so So it was pretty cool. All right, so let's go ahead and start off with, as we like to talk about side one, side two, if you had it on vinyl, which I have it on vinyl, or, you know, song one, disc one, whatever you want to call it, if you have a CD or song number one, if you're streaming it. Eerie Inhabitants. I really dig this song. Um, it's a great way to intro an album. I love the the clean guitar intro. it's 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 funny. It goes by its name. It's it's an eerie intro that leads yeah, into a really cool melodic song.
1: It's really gloomy, atmospheric. I mean, it has like a horror movie, like '80s horror movie kind of vibe to the beginning. And uh, like you can see right from the beginning that the band is really showing off more of a technical edge than their their debut album. So. They've they've kind of improved in this brief amount of time, much in the way that like say Metallica did with uh, Ride the Lightning from Kill 'em All. You, you see, like they've they've really improved here, and they're going for more of like a a consistent vibe throughout the album.
0: Yeah, I got I got the same feeling. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that went on with that first album. They, they, basically, the band was in flux because they changed their name one month before the release of the album. They, they changed from the legacy to testament because they found out that there was a jazz band that had the legacy name mm-hmm. yeah. um, and so so there was lots of things that, and, and they so they changed the name of the band and then they changed the name of the album to the legacy. They changed singers shortly you know before going into to recording the album they changed singers from Steve Sousa. Steve Souza I, 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 I kept trying to think of his name cetera, from Steve Souza. To Chuck Billy so lots of different things there were, were, were going on so there was a lot of flux going on during that first recording and again low budget low quality sound but it, it kept getting better this is a really good start to this album one of the things I got to say is is this album and this song is going to introduce this this album's got harmonies catchy choruses and hooks all over it I love this so it, this is just the beginning of this thing, you know, and and after basically catching the video for one of the songs that's on this album on MTV, I, I, went, I went right out and I picked up this album and this is the first thing I heard and I'm like, this is super cool. Uh, I, You know, it's got a little, a few elements on this song that remind me of Metallica, so that was really cool in that regards because it, it felt, what's the word I'm trying to say, it, it felt comfortable. At, you know, yeah, I, in, I get that. Yeah, getting yeah. into a new band, I'm like, hey, you know, so they're from the same area. They kind of have a similar, similar qualities to certain things. So I was pretty, pretty happy with that.
1: Yeah, there, it's funny. There's, there's times that they remind me of of Metallica, and there's times that they remind me of Megadeth. Mm. Some of the, especially when Chuck Billy was young, yes, he uh, he has very Mustang-ish, uh singing sometimes, and then he has very uh ish singing sometimes So it's, it's very interesting Yeah, I mean, I love this track I, I love how it, you know, kind of Sets the tone for the album That goes through, and you'll see more As, as the album goes on You'll see that, like, it relates Back to that first intro From Eerie Inhabitants
0: Yes Alright, so, song number two Is the title track, The New Order And this song is Oozing Hooks, Oozing Melodies there's some great guitar work on this song. And Louis Clemente, the drummer, he's playing parts of this song using offbeats, which is something that not a lot of metal drummers typically do, uh, especially on 4-4, four, four, you know, 4-4 four, four time songs. And he, he, he loves to do this. This is one of his little tricks that he's introduced in, in, to thrash metal, I guess you could say. I mean, there's a lot of quality drummers in thrash metal, but there's a specific style to thrash drumming. And of that style, Lars took it in another direction. And not a lot of people like Lars's drum style, but it is what it is. And then Louie changed things by doing a lot of half-beat stuff. Uh, whereas other guys are, you know, just straight-up thrash drumming. These guys were trying to do things differently.
1: You know, for as much good stuff is going on here, this was never one of the songs that really stood out to me you're 100 percent right about the drumming it's awesome i love the guitar intro like i I, that to me is the the biggest part of the song that i really like i always felt like chuck billy's vocals on this song this this was like the weakest um of his vocals on this album is almost like he was straining a bit too much um and it was outside of his range and so for that reason, I kind of never like felt like this was one of the best tracks. That's not to say that I don't like it and that, that it's not a good track. It just means that I, I feel like it's lesser than some of the better ones.
0: And, that, and that's interesting because I, I get where you're coming from on that. And I see that there's a lot more potential for the song, but it's still such a good song, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Oh, know, yeah, so. it's still
1: a good song. I mean, it, like I said, I'm not, I'm not um, saying it's a bad song. I just, it's funny because it's like Eerie Inhabitants and then the next track, Trial by Fire, to me are that much better.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of Trial by Fire, that, that's the next song. It's song number three on the album. And this song was my first exposure to Testament. Uh, I turned on MTV one Saturday night watching Headbangers Ball and this song comes on. It's got a really eerie intro in terms of the video. Um, but, you know, you have that nice, clean guitar intro. It's uh, very melodic, which is part of the theme throughout the album, like you just mentioned before on Eerie Inhabitants. It, this has got a, a super cool riff. The melody on this song is, is awesome. It's catchy. I mean, that's the one thing that I've noticed about Testament, especially with this album. It's catchy as 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 all hell. I mean, mm-hmm. it's got a ton yeah. of hooks all, all over it. And, and I, the album is a really good album. So this song just basically this song sums up everything that I like about thrash at that time.
1: Fair enough. Yeah. And and that that Um, was one
0: of those things I loved about this song.
1: So to me, this is definitely one of the biggest highlights on the album. It has another cool atmospheric intro. Like you said, like it just, it relates back to that intro from ear inhabitants. Um, It's got some really great technical guitar work. And I love towards the beginning, like there's that bass, highlight where it just like every other instrument just drops off and it's just the bass and the and the drum and it's just it it's leading into the the actual song which kicks ass um i I think it's a great track it's probably one of the best if not the best on the album
0: i I agree it's it's one of the strongest songs on the album the one of the thing is about testament at, at this point so now you know i I've picked up on testament I've listened to this album. And one of the things that that really stood out for me is that this album stands out to me above a lot of their peers that were coming out around this time. And I'm not talking about like Metallica, Slayer, you know, Megadeth, or Anthrax, I'm talking about bands like Death Angel and Overkill. On the East Coast, uh, in, uh, although Overkill came out a couple years earlier, like the second generation. Yeah, the, se- thrash, the second generation. Yeah. Uh, even though Exodus came out in '85 with their debut album, they they were sporadic because it wasn't until I think '87 that they came out with their with their second album. And and again, Exodus and Testament have a long history with each other because they they basically swap singers for for the most part. I mean, if you want to talk about Steve Souza being in, in in Exodus, um, and they, to me oh, and, and another band that, that stood above was Death Angel they're all from that same area and and to me it was one of those things where Testament was just like that much better than those guys they're singing the same topics the occult and evil stuff uh, along with Exodus and Death Angel but they, they just stand out because they have the hooks they have the catchiness they have I guess more thoughtful lyrics in that regards and this song was like the, the, the epitome of all that wrapped up into one yeah <laughs> <laughs> alright so song number four on the album's Into the Pit it's a mosh song I like this song just because it, it changes the pace it picks up everything a little bit quicker and it's a, it's a no holds barred kind of song you know it's got a cool chorus because it's just everyone's just yelling into the pit um, it's a fun song to sing along to and of course, you know, there's got some more, you know, great work from Alex Skolnick.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, it, it kind of suffers from the same things I was saying about the the uh, title track, where it's it's just not quite as strong. It's it's good, it's fun. I like I like the the uh, the hook to it, but but it's it's a little cheesy in comparison to some of the other songs, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, to me, the biggest problem is that the bass is really drowned out in this track, whereas it was so highlighted and tried like fire, and it sounds so much nicer. Um, and there's moments where you you do hear it and it sounds great, um, but I I feel like sometimes the mixing in those early albums was you know questionable. Um, but it's a good track. I, I, again, I, the worst tracks that they're putting out on this album are better than than some of the other bands that are doing the same kind of music. What they're putting out their best stuff. So it's it's still a good track. It's just not as strong as, say, Trial by Fire or Eerie Inhabitants at this point.
0: Okay. I can go along with that. Um, the next song is... The oh
1: oh one one other thing I wanted to mention. Uh-huh. Um, sorry. It just came to mind. Um, so there, there's a band uh, some of you might be familiar with uh, called The Absence. I'm a big fan of them. They did a cover of this song, Into the Pit. Uh, that I love. I think it's, a, it, I think it's great. So um, they're, they're, a, they're a band out of Tampa, Florida. Uh, they came about around 2002. I, uh, I recently got into them in the, like the last five, ten years. So definitely check them out if you get a chance. But their cover of, of Into the Pit is awesome.
0: Cool. I got I to remember to listen to that on my Spotify. Anyway, so the next song is an instrumental song called Hypnosis. Uh, basically, it's a song from Eric Peterson and Alex Skolnick. Um, they do some really cool harmony work on this song. Not a lot to say about a, a instrumental that's slapped in the middle of, this, of an album.
1: <laughs> you know, I have a problem with hypnosis. And it relates directly to Disciples of the Watch, which is the next track. So I'm always left kind of wondering why this, this track is right here, right at track five. Um and I guess, I guess, because I didn't have it on vinyl, was this the end of the first half?
0: Yes, it's the end of side one.
1: Okay. So, I guess that makes sense. Now knowing that, because I never put two and two together, because I never had this until I had it on CD. This being the end of side one, it makes sense because it's like a, a bookend for side one. But if you're listening to it in CD or streaming format, it doesn't make sense because it's uh, it's like an intro and then you have another intro on Disciples of the Watch so it's like two eerie dramatic intros to one song so now like thinking about it in context of it's the, the end of side one that makes more sense and it it's but the other problem I have with it is that it feels like it should go somewhere being an instrumental it, like it, it's good, it's, it's great guitar playing, et cetera. but I, I want it to evolve. I want it to hit that next level and go into an awesome song. And that's what happens with Disciples of the Watch. It does exactly that. It, it's a you know it's a, a um, atmospheric intro, much the same as we've talked about through other parts of the album, but it goes into a, a really great track and so that's why I'm kind of with hip- hypnosis I'm always just kind of left wanting more
0: yeah it, 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 it is kind of weird now that you mention it because I actually thought the same thing to myself this morning when I was listening to it I mm-hmm. go why is this instrumental you know it's a slow instrumental it's a, I mean it's not horrible it's not bad It's, I mean it's cool harmony stuff I mean it's, a, it's good melody and, good, and, and a very melodic song it, it's not fast it's not you know anything other than this two guitar players but I did find it curious when I when Disciples of the Watch came on that it also has a very similar <laughs> yeah. intro, it's, you know, to Erie inhabitants and to Trial by Fire, and I'm like, okay. And now that we bring it up and and look at the the fact that it actually ends side one where Disciples of the Watch with the same little eerie intro starts side two it makes a hell of a lot more sense. And that's one of the things, you know, when we talk about streaming and, and we talk about how kids nowadays don't get that experience of, of looking at a, through a record store and flipping through albums. That's another one of the things that's part of the experience where you listen to side one, you had to get up off your ass, go and flip the record and listen to side two. And each side was a different experience. And we've talked about this a couple of times and this is, a perfect example where you have this eerie intro and you get to an eerie outro on side one. You flip it over, you get into this eerie intro and in then you get into a really good song with Disciples of the Watch. So it, there's there's definitely some storytelling that's being done in the, the track listing of this album,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which you don't get when you listen to it one through ten.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: So speaking of disciples of the watch, that's a damn good song.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, to me, it's it's one of the highest points in the album. Much along like like I said with a uh, trial by fire, it's uh, like like I said, I'm always kind of left wondering about that intro, intro, and then intro before disciples of the watch. But now that we've discussed it, I mean, it just makes so much more sense. The intro here, like it just builds into this awesome track, and. To me, it's just such a ripping, awesome you know experience uh, to start the, the side B, I guess, or side uh, side two, and and uh, like I said, it, to me, one of the best tracks on the album.
0: Oh, I mean, this is easily this is still a staple in their set to this day, and I I, I kind of it's weird, you know, my my fandom for Testament has waned over the years, and it, they're one of those bands where. They come in concert I want to go see them even though I, I haven't listened to all their albums you know in ages and it's and it's one of those things like this song was never on never really on my radar I always heard it I always thought it was a good song but it wasn't one of those songs that I had to go back and listen to or I, I picked out for whatever reason although it was on my testament quote-unquote testament playlist it was one of those I didn't go searching for it you know I I like try by fire more I like practice what you preach more for whatever reason but this one you know now that i'm i've I've kind of listened to it for the past week it's something i definitely want to listen to more so i I really like the song and then comes another staple in their set the preacher song number seven this is also another killer song and it's i don't know it's, it's a good song but it's not like it's not disciples of the watch to me it's not trial by fire I don't understand. No,
1: it's a straightforward rocker. I mean, it's it's got a really cool riff that's kind of repeated throughout the song. The solo also hints back to that that uh, that repeated uh, riff. So, I mean, it's a cool track. I like it. I actually got confused because I I somehow like I guess maybe the the, the name threw me off. I had remembered this being on "Practice What You Preach." But it had to be the name that just threw me off, right. and when I was listening to it today, I was like, "What?"
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I thought the same thought thing a while t- a, a, a long while ago too, because I'm like, "Oh, this has got to be able to practice what you preach."
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I just I just got thrown off because it's been a while since I listened to this album.
0: Right. Hey, this, this is it's a cool subject because it's basically you know uh, about a a um, a prophet predicting the world wars. And but they kind of repeat the same verse twice, so it's it, there's some oddities to the song. Um, but they play the crap out of the song in concert. I mean, all I always re- hear uh, that I always remember about Testament concerts is, is Chuck Billy doing what the intro of the song does, He's just, the preacher, you know, and he goes out there and he screams. That's all I, it's usually all I remember of that song because it just turns into a big mush of sound live. <laughs> But it's still cool, you know. Everybody goes crazy, and it's it's pretty awesome that way. Next, after the preacher comes uh, a cover song, Aerosmith's "Nobody's Fault." They do a really good version, or they do a really good job at covering this song and this album. It fits the album. It's not one of these singles to me, or song or covers to me that just don't belong. But at the same time. You, it's kind of curious as to why they threw a cover on this when you know they're they're on their second album, they're not really known for playing a lot of covers, but they throw this cover on it, especially Aerosmith for being a thrash band, you know.
1: You know, though they they really made the song their own, and it's it's funny because it's I, I heard this version actually before I heard the Aerosmith version, and um, I can like I could definitely tell it's an Aerosmith song. Now, but when you listen to it, it fits really well with everything else that's going on here, and there are moments, like glimpses, where you hear that, like that Aerosmith influence of of where the track came from. But it's, I think it's a really impressive cover because they they really made it a testament version of the song.
0: Absolutely. And,
1: and there's funny. There's something funny that came up while I was listening to it today. I was listening to moments of Chuck Billy's vocals, and I was like, man. He actually sounds a lot like... Or Chris Jericho sounds a lot like a young Chuck Billy at times.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I can see that. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, Except, you know, Jericho's older.
1: (laughs) Yeah, an older Jericho sounds like a younger Chuck Billy. Exactly.
0: That's funny. funny. Um, All right, so the next song after that is A Day of Reckoning. Um, This song for me... It doesn't really do a lot for me. Uh, It almost feels like it's a throwaway. In my opinion, Nobody's Fault should have either been the last song or the song in this spot, the number nine before musical death. And the only reason being is one, because it's a cover. Uh, Unless the cover is part of the story, I don't really think that you should be throwing the cover in the middle of, of an album. You know, it only works a couple of times. For certain bands, like Live and Let Die for Guns N' Roses, just kind of fits in the middle of the album. It's not a problem. Same thing with uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door and Usual Illusion 2. It fits in the middle of the album. It's not necessarily one of these that has to go at the end. But in this particular case, because of the thematic uh, or the themes in the songs, Nobody's Fault doesn't belong lyrically. So it should be at the end. That's why. So, so day of reckoning kind of feels like it's an almost an afterthought. Oh, we need another song, and they put that yeah. in there. You know,
1: you know, it's funny. I, I actually don't agree. Um, really with that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I actually really like a day of reckoning. Um, I think from from what I've talked about with other people, like this song is, I guess, a little bit divided. Um, to me, it's like one of the songs that really has like some Metallica and and Megadeth elements to it. Like the the vocals to me make me feel like like very mustainish vocals, and then he's he they've got a lot of Metallica esque sound in the in the actual track, and I I like this one. I I think it's a it's a good way to to end the album. I wouldn't necessarily say it's like the hi, like a highlight, but I think like if you're if you're ranking the songs like Eerie inhabitants, uh, trial by fire, uh, disciples of the watch would be like. The A songs, then this would be a B song. Um, I I like it the way it's it's aligned because because of the thematic elements of the of the the album, and and the and the the reason being is so they begin it with Your Inhabitants," which has that atmospheric intro that we keep talking about, and then "Musical Death" is is the same thing. It's an it's an instrumental outro that has that same vibe. So so. I think putting nobody's fault, like right next to that, would feel odd because of the placement of of you know, it would be like oh here's a cover and then we're just suddenly going into, you know, the thematic elements again, and it would just feel like an odd placement. If anything, I think nobody's fault would have to be the song that was was taken off the album over a day of reckoning. But that being said, I like the track listing. I think it fits really well, uh, and I, I I respect your opinion. I just don't necessarily agree with it on this occasion.
0: I, I agree with you on the fact if you're going to take a song off, you take off nobody's fault, and you and then you leave the the rest of it like that. So maybe, you know, instead of going like like you know how sometimes when you listen to an album, you get through the whole thing. And they throw in a, a cover song at the end just because they needed to throw a cover song, or they needed to add an extra song, mm-hmm. and it so it doesn't fit. But it's the last song, so you know no one really cares at that point. That could have been the thing where you know you go from eerie eerie inhabitants all the way through musical death, and then you throw on nobody's fault as the throw you know, the the add on song. Yeah, I could see that, but regardless, the album is what it is at this point. I, I'm I try I don't want to knock a day of reckoning too much. It to me it felt like a throwaway. Okay, mm-hmm. but there are some I mean there are some good things about it because I there I wrote down there are some good melodies. It's um to me it's not the strongest song in the album, obviously. But again there's Louis. you know, Louis Clementi again showing off his chops by going off beat and doing what he does. Uh he does that a lot throughout the albums. So you know, it, it, there's there's a lot of elements there. Like you said, I, I didn't really catch the, the Metallica and the, and the Megadeth stuff, but I may not have listened to it as thoroughly as possible. Maybe I'll deep dive into it tomorrow or something like that.
1: And that's one thing about music is that, like, when you listen to, you may listen to something today, and it just doesn't strike you today. But six months from now, you listen to it again, and something catches you. Right. Like it, it's it's happened to me so many times over the years where I've listened to something, you know, and I just had to be in the right mood and when I di- when I am it just really appeals to me. So, you know, it could be today that you don't really appreciate it as much and then, you know, 6 months from now you do. So, we'll see.
0: Right. So, the the album ends with a musical death, a dirge. Now, this continues. This song continues the theme that's run throughout the album, with the uh, the instrumental work, the harmony guitars from Skolnick and from Peterson, uh, and then this time they actually throw in some acoustic guitar work and uh, you know, Skolnick. And I would I'm going to assume in this particular case that it it's Alex Skolnick that's doing this, but you know he's thrown in some a little bit of Spanish stylings in in the the acoustic work. So and I the reason I say that is because Alex is the more diverse guitar player compared to Eric Peterson. Eric Peterson is just straight metal. <laughs> Alex left to do his his uh, jazz trio so there are some things that, that Alex's, I guess, scope of work is a lot more diverse than, than Eric's. And that's not knocking Eric because, you know what, everyone has their forte. And Eric is a killer riff writer so can't take that away from him. Um, And then about the three minute mark, the whole band comes in does their thing and then Alex um, again I'm assuming it's Alex you know starts playing a guitar solo and, and basically plays out to the end of the song it's a perfect way to end the album based on the way it began with the Erie inhabitants so.
1: yeah I mean you you pretty much took the words out of my mouth uh, I think it's a perfect book end to the album it it ends where it started thematically that that's kind of revisited all throughout the album it's what really keeps it cohesive what it what just makes it a very strong as i kind of say in in a lot of these is is it's an art piece in that it's all one cohesive album
0: yep all right so that brings us to practice what you preach which came out a little over a year later Uh, on Megaforce Atlantic. uh, Same producer, Alex Perialis. This time they did it in Fantasy Studios in Berkeley, California. So they, I would say they upgraded studios um, by going across the country a little bit closer to home. So they they felt more comfortable. Um, Practice What You Preach, the album to me is a complete improvement over the sound of New Order, which is interesting because the new order was a complete improvement over the legacy so each album now has improved sound wise which is great you know but at the same time what's cool about it is that you still have that familiar testament sound there is a sound that testament has that is their own and that and that definitely is something you can grasp from the band um, and that, that, So that, so you feel that consistency. You know it's the same band when, you, when you're just listening to the music and there's no words being played. So that's the cool thing. The other cool thing about this, and, and I, I got a little bit of criticism about this a little bit later, but the band moves away from their cult themes that they had been doing in the first couple albums, and they get more into political, society-based themes. And so you're going to notice that throughout this album. But one of the criticisms I have about that We'll talk about a little bit later As we get towards the end of the album So the album
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you on that one I, To me, I, I, it kind of pulled me out of it Because I, I, I actually really liked what they were doing With their first uh, first and second album And then to go into political like It doesn't bother me Because like, Death, one of my favorite bands Did that as well I think it's kind of one of those rites of passage for a lot of bands they you know go from demonic elements to something more real world but that's not like I said it's not it's not a, a bad thing it just it's a little different
0: yeah i mean every if you think about the thrash band scene uh you know metallica jump in the fire was a a, de- a demon cthulhu is a demon um, and even though they still talk about Cthulhu to this day, because he's on the new album as well, um, you know, they they did mature, obviously. Uh, Testament went from the, you know, occultish, evil kind of lyrics to more society-based, you know, uh, like you said, political. Um, Exodus.
1: So, yeah, sociopolitical concepts. Yeah,
0: you know, Exodus has done it. Megadeth. Kind of, you know, Killing Is My Business at the beginning. And then, you know, they definitely got political, you know, along the way. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, they, they just slapped you straight off the, the first, the second album with Peace Sells. So, you know, yes, you're right. A lot of bands do that. They 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 mature and there's other things to write about other than, you know, casting a spell on somebody or whatever it is that you want to do, and witches and, and, and shit like that. So the first song on this album is the title track, Practice What You Preach. Um, hands down, one of my favorite Testament songs. It is their signature song. I love the song. I love the production. I love just the, the, the songwriting part of that it. That they took a lot, and they put a lot into this song. And, that, and I like that a lot about this song. There's just so many different elements to like
1: yeah the first thing i notice is like they've they've really amped up the technicality which is great i i love it um the the bass is pushed more to the more forward to the front uh and it's more noticeable in most of the tracks and that's something i really like about this this album and what you you, you're saying with the uh with the the actual uh, uh about the production i mean i just i think it's it sounds better in a lot of ways that uh, that really set this album apart. It's already also a little bit less gloomy because you've had a change in subject matter. Um, the solo is fantastic and goes on for days, but in the best way.
0: Absolutely, the, 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 like I said, this song is one of my favorite Testament songs, and there's there's not a lot about this that you don't like, and and the production stands out right away, like like you said, and like I mentioned, so that that's the cool thing about it and so you you hear where the band is going at this point yeah so going into the second song perilous nation i really like this song i love the bass intro by greg christian on this one Um, because of the better production on the album this part shines through the vocal melody on this is is outstanding so there's a lot to like about this song and and that, that intro by Greg Christian is super cool because you can hear the picking on the bass and it's so crystal clear
1: yeah that was actually what I was going to say was, uh, again we get more love for the bass guitar <laughs> um, I love that, that there's like this dissonant guitar work going on that, that's just really interesting it's it's really a lot more creative track than than really anything I've heard from Testament at this point there's just there's just something more experimental going on here and you can hear like that's why i said like the technicality is amped up the 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 band is is exploring the instruments a lot more uh but still staying in the same vein they're not they're not it's not like you know going outside of the realm and making a, a questionable listen it's uh it's really still staying in their lane but really exploring the whole lane
0: yeah exactly they're, they're definitely wanting to they're they're still doing thrash but they're trying to expand their their musical capabilities and it's definitely starting to show exactly song number three envy life now this song kind of brings the pace down a little bit but at the same time it's not like it's not a ballad it's not a slow song but it, it, it kind of brings it to like just like a steady kind of rhythm I like the song itself um, the intro to the song, Leading into the vocals is one of the earliest indications um, that Chuck Billy is going to going towards growling. If you if you it may have caught that at all, and he does mm-hmm. it a couple times throughout the song, and it it works, but you see that the band is not just going to be this screaming vocal kind of band. There's going to be something else, and you can hear it as as it starts in this song. Like I said, it's a little bit slower song, but more straightforward. I love the chorus. It's kind of weird. Envy life—just is two words, but the way he he says them is just, there's just there's just a hook to it. It's kind of weird because there's not a lot to it to make it a hook, but it, you know, just saying envy life and in the way he says it is is pretty pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you said, it slows down the pace. To me, it's it's nothing too remarkable. Um, the first two tracks kicked so much ass, and then it goes into this one where I'm. I'm not necessarily bored with it, but it's just really repetitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't do a whole lot for me. So, I mean, I, to me, it's it's one of the weaker songs on the album.
0: Fair enough. Song number four, Time Is Coming. Uh, Louis Clemente starts the song off again, doing his offbeat special that he does. Um, it's more up-tempo. So the, the song is it brings the pace back up to being more thrashy. Um but time is coming. The the song itself is not really thrashy, but it brings the pace up. You know.
1: No, they, I mean they really tried something different with the vocals here. Yes. Um which is which is not bad. I mean it's I actually like it, even though it's it's a very different. It it falls in line with what we were saying before, more a little bit more experimental. Um, it there's really stellar guitar work going on, but again it's a bit repetitive. Uh the solo's decent, not one of my favorites uh but it fits the song really well so it just it, it it works but it's not like it's not outstanding but it works really well
0: yeah one of the notes that i put down was i i can't tell if this is an attempt to be prog or just different for the sake of being different the song is good and it's catchy but there's something about it that you know you can you can go past it if you need to
1: yeah i i i don't know if different for being different was the way i felt necessarily i i felt it was different to try to experiment but it was a direction they never really go in again you know right so so i get i get what you're saying there i don't think that's the way it struck me necessarily but i i get that
0: it, again you did say there are there's some cool elements to it you know the, the a lot of vocal effects and stuff like that so it, it's definitely to de- de- trying something out which is fine you got the budget you do it you know so that brings us to Blessed in Contempt song number five and this one reminds me of stuff off The Legacy I mean it brings you right back to, to me right back to Testament's early days uh, the structure of it is straight off The Legacy in my opinion um, but but with the better production and the clearer vocals it's a better song you know, so what I like, what I really find cool about this song is the way Clementi plays the drums on this. Now I gotta explain this because this is hard to kind of visualize. What he does in this song is he plays a four-four beat in reverse. Now the stand, a, a typical four-four beat, you know, or in some cases where it's highlighted on the fourth, is you're 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 hitting the drums. You know, it's like bass drum snares. So it's boom ba, boom ba, boom ba, boom boom ba, right? Whereas in this one, he's actually going, boom, boom, ba, boom, boom, ba, boom, boom, ba, boom, ba, and so it, it's it's in reverse, and I I noticed it when I was listening to it this morning on the way to work, and I said that is so cool, because not a lot of people do that, and yet and, and it fits the song, so I don't know if you if you got what I meant by that, but I I think it's to me it's a it's a cool part of the song, and and again it's Louis trying to be or trying to show off that he's a good drummer
1: yeah there there are definitely positive aspects to the song for me overall i think it's it's just really repetitive and it's it's definitely one of the low points to the album to me um there are like you said like what's going on with the drum work it's pretty awesome um but that being said the rest of the the song doesn't stand out um same with the next track, Greenhouse Effect, I feel the same way. Uh these are the two songs on the album that I could just skip.
0: Yeah, I mean the song uh, of course is it's about the killing of the rainforest in South America. It's it's very topical for the, for the time period and exactly what you said, uh, to me it's a relatively basic song for testament. Um and again, Louis is playing off beat timing so it, it, it's almost now, you, it's becoming a standard foray for, for Testament. And it, it to me, that's it does drag a little bit down because of that. They're, they've just, the formula is, is there, but they it, there's nothing special about what they put into the formula.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, and it's really straightforward as far as the lyrics go, too. Like, you know exactly what he's talking about. There's not a lot of, uh, uh, you know, entendre or, or you know, just... It, there's just not a lot to it. It's just really straightforward, and that's fine. It just it's not a great song to me,
0: yeah. And, and I think in overall with with when it comes to Chuck Billy and his lyric writing, there's not a lot of of entendre, not not a lot of double meanings about behind things. I, he's got a lot of pretty straightforward lyrics. very yeah. straightforward storyteller. It's, it's like that to this day. And when it works, it's great because when it flows properly throughout the song, it's awesome. When it becomes a story and, and you, you, you don't flow properly, I guess with the, with the, the way the story goes, it, it doesn't work and it becomes generic. Yeah. All right. So sins of omission, song number seven. I like that intro riff. It's got a cool chug. Um, it goes. It slides right into the main riff nicely verse melody is pretty good too um, chorus melody goes along with the drumming which is also offbeat again so now you got the chorus that's going with the offbeat drumming so the band again is trying to do something different that's part of their formula and it's just to me it's going in the same consistent yet not necessarily better direction
1: I I really like this song. Um, this is kind of one of those that like it's different, and you know it's different. It there's like especially after listening to the last two tracks, this is one that just stands out. Like you've mentioned before, like this is you know you you know the song that's supposed to be one of the singles when you're listening, and this to me feels that way. Where it just it's so, um, I guess like it, there's so much more put into this song. Than some of the others, that you can't help but like take notice of it when it comes on.
0: Wow, I didn't get that feeling at all. That's weird.
1: Really? Yeah.
0: Okay. Maybe I got. I don't know. Maybe it's because of, of of when I was listening to it that it came across that way. But I'll check it out again and see if, if see if it has that feeling. And maybe it also may have been doing. I didn't listen to it straight through, so I didn't get it from you know one song to the next song to the next song to the next song where I could feel it stand out. And gotcha. that, that may have been what, what happened. Because uh, it's been quite a long time since I've listened to this album straight through. And so that, again, you know, and especially in the circumstances in which I had to listen to it, 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 it may have taken that uh, away from the, that element, away from it. Gotcha. I mean, it's, again, it's not a horrible song, but I guess as a standalone, it, it, it doesn't, uh, for me, it doesn't vibe. So, you know, I... I, I, I but again, again, it was the end of the day and I'm like I, I gotta listen to this song <laughs> <laughs> um the next song that comes up is uh their minor mTV hit the ballad um they had a video for it 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 uh it got a lot of airplay um it's got a really sweet acoustic intro if you want to put it that way um both Alex and Eric are pa- are playing acoustic guitar i'm I'm guessing. It could be just Alex. It could be just Eric. Um, Reading the lyrics, it's kind of weird. It almost seems like a a guy friendship song to me. Um, One guy willing to do something, you know, for another guy or that type of thing. You know, he's willing to take a go to jail type of thing. I don't know. There's something about it to me. It's it's not your regular relationship song, but it's not, you know, it's not a, a... it's not an anti song. It's just it's one of these it's a I don't know, it's hard to describe it, but I look at it as a, it's a friendship song, something deeper than your standard friendship though. Um and it gives me a lot of similarities not necessarily in in tone or sound or quality of song writing, but in, I guess in structure. It has a lot of similarities to Fade to Black and Welcome Home Sanitarium to me. And much like you had said that they, sometimes he has this Hetfield esqueness to his vocals, this song has to me has that Hetfieldness to it. So I like the song, but I I think it's not it, it's not Testament's forte to do these kinds of songs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've I've always recognized that kind of similarity to Fade the Black and uh, to One. Songs like that that were a little bit slower in the thrash realm. I like the song. I don't love it, but I I like the lyrics a lot. Um, he does sing quite a bit like James Hetfield here. Like he's, it's almost like he's doing a James Hetfield impression. I, I like it. I just you know, it's it's a good song. It it's not amazing, but it's good.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I like the song as well. What I was getting at by saying what I said was more about. Testament has its strengths, and they lie elsewhere. And oh, I agree, but I, is, I
1: just think this was a nice experimentation, which was kind of like it's kind of a theme of the album is just trying to go outside of the realm, really explore what they can do. They never really kind of hit back to this point, but uh, I didn't think that was a bad experimentation.
0: You know? No, not at all. And again, you know, at this at this time of their career, you know, their their third album in. And Metallica just hit it big with one, and just like every other record company, they, you know, they're gonna say, "Hey, you're 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 just like them. Why don't you write a song just like that?" You know, and that's probably what happened in this situation, because they really don't do it again. You know, they've done, you know, obviously Musical Death. They, they did they do acoustic things and they do slow songs, but they never did a full blown ballad. And then of course they name it the ballad. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of these I've
1: always wondered if the name was like a like a tongue in cheek kind of uh sarcastic name.
0: Right. I, I can see that. You know. And and when you think about it, all their peers, nobody but Metallica really did anything in this format. Megadeth never did anything like that. Slayer obviously never did anything like that. And Anthra, well, Megadeth
1: did but later on with Risk. I mean they yeah. did, I'll be there for you, which is a song I actually like.
0: The cover of the Bon Jovi song?
1: No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but again, it came much later in their career. You know, at mm-hmm. this in, exactly. you know in 1988, 89, that that's not what Megadeth was doing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, Metallica was the only one who had done it at this point. I mean, Exodus didn't do it, Death Angel wasn't doing it. So it it was just one of these things. Testament, because they were such they, they were good at writing hooks, they 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 put their foot in the water and they came out with this song. It again, a, a small hit for them on MTV, so they got something out of it, which was good. Yeah. You know. So then the next song after the ballad is Nightmare Coming Back to You. This is one of those where I'm picking up the pace again. I'm going you know go from the ballad who slows it down um, even though it picks up at the end, now this song is picking up the pace again and and it's to me it's one of those typical uh songs that end an album, even though it's not the last song but it, so it's a little bit faster, you know it's a little more aggressive for me, I like it, although it still reminds it's still a little nondescript for me but I do like the song.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a decent song. I mean, that's about the most I have to say about it. It's forgettable to me, but I, I, it's not one I skip, but it's fine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we end the album with confusion. Fusion Uh, It is essentially Testament's version of jazz. And, they have the guys to do it Because Greg Christian, Alex Skolnick And Louis Clemente are pretty damn good musicians And they're all diverse enough To be able to pull this off Now obviously Eric Peterson is in there Chugging along on his guitar um, But it, it at the same time is, Even though they can pull it off That doesn't mean you necessarily have to do it To me this should have been left as a jam on the floor Rather than throwing it on the album
1: It's weird. Um, I like it. I I I really enjoy the song. It doesn't necessarily fit. Um, it does seem like something that maybe should have been like a single B side, the
0: the B side to a single, exactly. Yeah.
1: But to me, like when I listen to this, especially like today, you know, when we were talking about uh, hypnosis, where it never really goes anywhere. Like, this song goes somewhere,
0: Oh and yeah. it's,
1: it's super fun. And I, I it's, it's like the, since I started listening to Testament, this is the song that I've been waiting, like the instrumental I've been waiting for from them. So I like it a lot. I can't say anything really negative about it, other than it does feel a little odd in its placement. But um, kick-ass song.
0: Yeah, it's definitely Testament having fun. That is for sure. It's an interesting way to end the album, you know. But yeah, it's definitely a fun song. I don't dislike. I like the song. It's pretty cool. It's a jam. But I think that's that. It's definitely more suited to be a B-side single. Hey, you know, we we had this song that we recorded. We're gonna put it on our B-side of our single, the ballad or whatever or practice. But I, I don't know. It def, it definitely doesn't fit the album. Other than the fact that Louis' drumming is the same, you know, it fits the album that way. But and of course, you know, you get to hear a lot of cool bass playing. So there's there's elements to it that are cool and elements kind of like, huh, what? But anyway, <laughs> in the end, with these two albums, for, for me, this album, the bigger budget and the better production definitely helped make this a strong album. I think Testament struggled to put together a cohesive theme because they were so ma- they they had matured enough to get past those older themes that they, that were on the New Order and the Legacy. I think they struggled to try and come up with new ideas, uh, lyric wise, that were their attempt to be mature and and so there was a they they kind of were all over the place sociopolitically, um, not necessarily. A bad thing, but ne- definitely not cohesive.
1: Yeah, so. it's, it doesn't have that same um, theme. You know, that the thematic consistency right. of the new order. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, and to say like that they they've reached that maturity, it's it's almost like they've they've haven't quite reached the maturity. That they would reach later on, like they, they've they've stepped out of you know singing about goblins and ghouls, but they haven't quite figured out where they're going exactly. They're Correct. like, we want to sing about more mature stuff, but we don't know how to bring it all together.
0: Exactly, and, and that's what I kind of was trying to get at with that. It's definitely yeah. they're trying to be mature, but they don't know where they're going with it. Uh, to evaluate the two albums, um, my my tendency is that the new order is the better album. Uh, I like that album. It's consistent. It's it's a solid album. It's got hooks galore, melodies galore. I love all that about it. The only thing I, I, I can take away from that album, or or the only thing I could I, I pretty much criticize about the album is, is, first of all, two instrumentals, and then all those instrumental interludes leaves a lot of a a lot more to be desired it could have been so much more added to that album that would have been musically better rather than having two full-blown instrumentals and a ton of musical interludes that were quiet passages i that's the only thing i can i can uh strike against the new order the rest of it disciples of the watch the preacher trial by fire eerie inhabitants those are and and I like the new order, so all those songs are really good. So, I my my vote is for the new order over practice.
1: Well, um, as far as the two albums go, like I I kind of said how I feel about practice what you preach. There is there is a maturity a level of maturity that's developing, but hasn't quite gotten there yet, and the the inconsistency that is well at least in comparison to the new order uh kind of drags it down by some points there are songs on practice what you preach that are better than the songs that are on a new order or the new order um but there are also songs that are much worse so the for the consistency factor and i like instrumentals i'm fine with them the only real hiccup to me is hypnosis uh but that's that's kind of a misunderstanding I guess because of the format that that this album came in. If if I was listening to it on vinyl and I was listening to side A or, or side 1 and side 2, then I would probably, you know, say, "Oh cool, you know, I like the way that ends." But being in the modern age and not having listened to it that way it always kind of threw me off. But for the most part, I for the consistency factor, I got to go with New Order. I, I love a lot of the tracks on here. One of my favorite testament songs is on this album, so I gotta pick. I gotta be, pick with you again this week. That's three, uh, that's three in a row, isn't it? Three in a row.
0: Wow, cool.
1: It's a little surprising to me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, that brings us to our big four for tonight, and it's the big four testament songs. I believe it's your turn to go first.
1: I do not believe so. Okay um, then. I'll go first. Because <laughs> I, I went, or you went first on, on In Flames. I went first on Judas Priest, so this would be you again. Okay,
0: not a problem. I got gotcha. you. Okay, cool. So my big Four Testament songs um, re- uh, span the gamut of their career, re- really, when you think about it. Now, so my number four song, it's weird. They It's on their first album, and it's also on First Strike Still Deadly. And I like the version on first strike, still deadly. Production-wise, better, but Steve Souza's vocals on the first strike, still deadly version, leave something to be desired. The song is "Alone in the Dark." I love that song. I love the the vocal melody, the rhythm that that, that is sung, and I think Chuck Billy does a hell of a lot better job singing it than Steve Souza does, even. The re-recorded version Steve Souza's ver- version yeah, It's cl- crystal clear I like how he I like it But I think Chuck's version on, on The Legacy is much better
1: I think if you're a big Testament fan It's cool having that version Of uh, the song Sung by Steve Souza Because of You know his Him being in the band You know In their early formation that being said I've never been a huge fan of his voice and that's more of a thing for the die hard testament fan but yeah I agree with you I I gotta go with the original version for sure (laughs)
0: okay yeah alright so my number three song comes all the way to the Dark Roots of the Earth album it is the song Rise Up that starts the album I love that song that I love that album that album is killer to me I mean it's one of Testament's best albums, in my opinion. Uh, and that song is the, is the lead song on that album. It, it gets you going right off the bat. My number three song. My number two song is off of your favorite Testament album. And I say that sarcastically. <clears throat> <laughs>
1: it's low. It?
0: It's low. The song Low. I love that song. I mean, it's, it's by far hands down the best song on the album. I love that song.
1: I can't disagree with you there, but that's not really a good thing for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love the song, Low. It is the one song in Testament's catalog uh, that I continue to go back to. I mean, it's it's uh, it's my number two song for a reason. I continue to go back to that song over and over and over again. Uh, and my number one song for Testament is Practice What You Preach that song is just killer. It's awesome. I love it. I had a
1: feeling you were going to say that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a cool song. I like that one. So there's my big four Testament songs. What do you got?
1: All right. So mine is also kind of uh, diverse in the, the time periods. Um, So for number four, uh, Disciples of the Watch, we talked about it earlier. I've always been a huge fan of that song. I was a little surprised to say you hadn't really listened to it, but I understand. I I know sometimes you only get about three tracks in because they're so good, and then you repeat. No, it's funny. So. I listen to the song.
0: I listen to the song. It's just one that that I never really gravitated towards, and I don't know why it was that way. But that's you know, it, I listened to it. I w- I listened to this album a lot when I was younger. But it's, it's how just, it goes sometimes. Yeah,
1: it just yeah. But I but I'm a huge fan of the song. Uh, it's from. The, I believe the first album that I listened to from, from Testament it's hard for me to remember some of this stuff but uh, but I always like this track a lot uh, for number 3 it's from an album that's a little bit divisive and it's kind of the the point at which the band made a huge change afterwards and that would be from the Ritual uh, Electric Crown I've always been a huge fan of this song there's just something about the hook that that really catches me and uh, I, I actually like The Ritual. I know it's like the point where the band started to fall apart. But that's also like, I, I, you know, I say the same thing about Clayman. I'm a huge fan of, of Clayman from In Flames. Um, but it's to me like the last great album before they, they really changed. And luckily Testament came back around and really grabbed my attention with the next two songs I'm going to talk about. But big fan of Electric Crown. All right, uh, number two is a recent release, and I had a, it was a huge toss-up for me if this was going to be number one or number two. Uh, but it's "Night of the Witch" off of Titans of Creation, the new album. When that came out, it just kicked my ass so hard that I just I couldn't stop listening to it. I love the direction that Chuck Billy's vocals have gone. He's so heavy, and the song itself just heavy, 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 heavy. I mean, it kicks ass. I know you have an opinion on on the way on that the chorus. You, <laughs> yeah, you think their chorus should repeat? I don't necessarily agree. I love the song. It's my number two. Uh, for number one uh, song off of the last album from 2016, and that's the Pale King off of Brotherhood of the Snake. This song kicks ass. It just it's been it's been one of my favorites of theirs for the last few years. I almost knocked it down to my number two because I love the Night of the Witch so much, but just lyrically, it's very cool. Um, if you like Game of Thrones and you like those kind of things, like it, it just has like such a really cool um, uh, fantasy vibe to it, and and the the riff kicks ass, the vocals kick ass. I mean, it's just an awesome song. If you haven't given Testament a chance since they kind of. Came back from from you know their their uh, departure musically, and the last three albums it, you mentioned uh, um, the Dark Roots of the Earth, Brotherhood of Snake, Titans of Creation. These albums are great. Yes, they are. So it all started sure with
0: it, it all started with formation of Damnation, although that wasn't as strong as the, the next three. But it, with the song More Than Meets the Eye. From
1: yeah, that, More Than Meets the Eye is a cool song too. Yeah, from there I, on, I, I, yeah. I get, I get what you're saying, and it, it's fair enough because it's been every four years since that point, right? Um, and that was kind of the 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 tipping point of going back in that direction, and then you know visually, thematically, all the albums have had a consistent look to them and a consistent vibe to them for, from that point. So that's fair enough. But yeah, those those albums ever since then, uh, after that, they, they kind of took a break from the gathering. They, they you know they did first strike still deadly in 2001 which is was decent as a re-recording but there was a huge gap I mean almost 10 years before they released new music from the gathering to formation of damnation and since they've really come back and reformed with Alex Skolnick they, I mean they've, they've kicked ass they've done really great stuff so yeah check another, those albums out
0: yeah another thing with those last three albums is it's been the same lineup. And that's been the really cool thing, with Chuck, Eric, Alex, and they've also had my my uh, my friend uh, De Gregorio, right? Steve.
1: <laughs> or, Steve DiGiorgio. Oh, hey, um, you know, I I
0: was gonna say DiGiorgio, Giorgio, and I'm thinking, no, right that's the one wrong one.
1: <laughs> now he was only on the last two albums, though, because Greg Christian. He was on. Was, uh, he
0: was on Dark Roots.
1: Was on yes he was on dark roots oh
0: well they, but they didn't like him at, at that point anyway <laughs> but bass playing wise it, it got better but it was still the the big the big factor was getting Gene Hoglan to play drums on the last three albums I think those four guys have solidified the consistency of their sound all right well that's a wrap for tonight Chris what do we got next week.
1: All right, so next week we're going to do something a little different than what we've been doing. We're introducing a new concept where we're going to pick a band and we're going to create our greatest hits between the two of us. So I'm going to pick 15 songs. Kenneth's going to pick 15 songs, and we're going to decide what the greatest hits from this band is and kind of what the order should be in. So we're going to, we're going to come up with our own order ahead of time. And there might be some overlap, but I guarantee you we have some pretty big differences of opinion sometimes when it comes to what we prefer in music. So we're going to have to come to a consensus on what our greatest hits is for Megadeth. Megadeth. All right, so make sure to tune in next week and check out our greatest hits for Megadeth and our big four, which is going to be Megadeth guitar players. So be sure to tune in next week, and remember, always turn it up to 11. See ya.